Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are paralyzed with shame that they are making a Star Trek podcast, especially about this episode. I'm one of your hosts, Ben Harrison. I'm your other host, Adam Pranica. We do that every time. We do that opening every time uh, in case you've accidentally downloaded this podcast thinking that you were getting something about World War II veterans. <laughs> right. Uh, as many uh, many people who have ever clicked on the Greatest Gen hashtag on Twitter will find, uh, it is a term that is used in multiple different contexts. All the contexts. All the great contexts, Ben. <laughs> um, I'm going to need some of the podcast fluid for this one. Mm. Me too. You won't hear me open mine, though, because mine's a bottle. Mine's a bottle as well. I, it, it was a twist-off. Hmm. I'm all out of real beer. I'm drinking cider. I am drinking cider as well, Adam. What a happy coincidence. I, uh, since getting back from Japan, have been on a real Japanese food and bev kick. I've been drinking mm. Japanese beer since I've been back and uh, enjoying all the Seattle-based Japanese foods that I can find since returning. And... Uh, it's my first cider in quite a while. Welcome back. Well, we have some time to kill before <laughs> we do this this thing. Uh-huh. Uh, any interest in a little bit of Bible study? Oh, yeah. You know what? It has, it has been many, 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 many weeks since my last confession, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I confess to nothing. It's... Good to see you all in church. It's called the Bible. That's the way God wants it. I don't know why, dude. All these questions? Is a little blind faith too much to ask? I have randomly turned to page 65 of the Star Trek The Next Generation Writers Slash Director's Guide, a.k.a. the Show Bible. Hmm. Yeah, are, the, are the pages very, very thin, almost see-through? <laughs> yeah, and they've got a nice nice gold leaf around the edge. Is there a um, ribbon to hold your place? Unfortunately, there's a piece of gach to hold your place and <laughs> it uh it'll it'll crawl right out of the book if you aren't careful. Yeah. Slam um, that book. So, I'm on a page that is under the heading Star Trek terminology continued and the the three headings on this page are star bases Subspace radio channels allow faster than light communication, and the tractor beam is an electronic grappling hook. <laughs> I love that idea. Yeah, that doesn't. That's not really how it's uh, depicted, is it? It'd be fun if Worf had to like had to like swing it over his head before throwing it. <laughs> they. The thing about a grappling hook is that you are pulling yourself onto the thing you're hooking, and mm-hmm. the tractor beam is always always pulling the thing close to them. Yeah. It's sort of a reverse grappling hook. Well, listen, here's the description. The tractor beam is a manipulative force field. It allows us to grab and pull other uh, another object in space 
equivalent of a grappling hook and a towing line. The tractor beam emitter is a small device that is tucked into its niche at the aft end of the ship's keel, facing rearward. It can be lowered to swivel 360 degrees for special requirements. Hmm. I have a device tucked into the niche at the aft end of, uh, of my keel as well, Adam. Would that device have a flared base, Ben? <laughs> yeah, you don't want it slipping into the polar region. I, I mean, I love how much thought that they put into stuff like this, but it's becoming clear that not a lot of people pay attention to the Bible. Not a lot of people take the Bible's advice for action. Yeah, there's there's some things I, I've like paged through this a little bit more since our last uh, study session. There are a lot of like pieces of jargon suggested in the Bible that don't actually wind up <laughs> being canonical to the show. And I sort of wonder, like, is the show like? Do we have to defer to the show for canon? In the early parts of the show Bible, is the Enterprise, like, vengeful, and it just kills a bunch of people for no reason, and <laughs> yeah, uh, and makes every little thing... Uh, quibbles ever over every little breach of, uh, of its, its orders. Every little thing is a capital crime. <laughs> and uh, in later chapters, like, uh, the Enterprise is a real lover, like, like yeah. sort of down with helping people in a more humanitarian way. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, as we do this segment more often, Adam, much to everybody's chagrin, uh, <laughs> we will we will learn more and more things like that. We're doing this bit just at that one person who wrote in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ways to get Adam and Ben to stop doing things. Number one, never write us <laughs> to ask us that. <laughs> Uh, I know we don't normally do this, Ben, but this is an episode that is uh, specific to a character that neither of us like very much. Are there Bible notes about the character of Luaxana Troy that are germane to the episode coming up, out of curiosity? That's a, that's a good question. I think the minorest character that is biographied in this is Guinan. Oh, uh, okay. Um... She's got like a page and a bit in here, but uh, after that, um, there's no more characters discussed. Hmm. So, I, well, uh, that would explain why her character is all over the road every episode. <laughs> yeah, you know, like for for the, the one thing that's really consistent and persistent is how fucking obnoxious she is. Well, they bring her back. I don't know. What is it, like eight times? They bring her back once a season. She's on the show almost as much as Wes. It sure seems like she is deserving of a chapter, if for no other reason than to give some structure that a writer could observe. I think that everything everything that you do to encourage Loxana Troy makes this show worse, so... I think that uh, leaving her out of the show Bible is something that uh, I would consider a blessing. It sure seems like Waxana Troy is like the Vladimir Putin character <laughs> on the show, and she has got some. She's got pictures of the writers' room doing <laughs> awful things in a hotel room. Yeah, she's got compromise on the writers' room. <laughs> <laughs> 
Who knew that the writer's room was so into water sports? Ben. Well, Adam, uh, that's that's all we have time for here on Bible study today. Here endeth the lesson. Peace be with you, Ben. What do you say we uh, we talk about this horrible episode of Star Trek? Ben, it's an episode that will live in infamy. It's season five, episode 20, The Cost of Living. And it turns out the cost is quite high. It exacts quite a price. Before we even get into this, Ben... Um, I will admit to, I think, about 20 minutes in, really wanting to turn off the episode. <laughs> the The feeling was so strong. It was as strong as it's ever been on this show. Yeah. I... This is like you do how so I felt much, when I... You do so much good for almost six seasons. Like, you, there's some bumps in the road. There are some bad episodes here or there. But I feel like the show has matured to a point where you shouldn't have something like this happen. Right. Well, and even this episode, like this episode has one of the hottest cold opens we've seen. Oh, it's fucking great. Four tubes armed and ready, Captain. Five. It's like comes in in media race. They are shooting torpedoes. They are taking out asteroids. Like they hit it once. A direct hit, sir. It like takes it apart, but it's not good enough. You know, like they, they, on the fly, come up with a scheme for using the deflector dish to shoot particles at it. The target has been destroyed, Captain. Takes it out. They save a planet. It's it's like a recruiting commercial for the Navy, where they just show you all the cool shit, <laughs> yeah. and they don't they don't show you the two weeks in some foreign airbase where you're yeah. just super bored the entire nope. time. Nobody is swabbing any decks in this cold open. Like, you could recut this cold open with a Keith David voiceover talking about how great the Navy is. And, like, and recruiting numbers would be through the roof for Starfleet. It's awesome. I mean, admittedly, you could just show some people swabbing the deck with a Keith David voiceover and the recruiting numbers would be through the roof. Navy, accelerate your life. Because Keith David moves the fucking needle. God, Keith David's the best. <laughs> He's so good. <laughs> He's one of my favorites. Oh, I fucking love me some Keith David. I feel like this mission that they portray here in the cold open could and should happen all the time. This And what's great about the mission is like they blow up this asteroid and they peace out. Warp four as soon as we're clear of the debris field. Aye, sir. They don't stick around to take credit. It's like... It's like someone spills a two liter of soda in an aisle in a grocery store. One of the employees cleans it up and then they gets back to doing something else. Like, right. it's just part of the job, blowing up asteroids, saving whole planets. It is great. And I also like that they show the ship kind of like pulling out of orbit and heading off to its next adventure and some, some like stripper glitter from, uh, from the asteroid gets on the ship. and From one of uh, Raz's parties. Whoever that guy was from the last episode. From From last episode's P1. Uh, Yeah. Um, Some Fort Lauderdale style uh, stripper glitter. But even that is really a a great idea, right? Like, like what about, what if, what if there was an episode where 
they had a short mission and then something that you know like some some kind of unforeseen consequence of that mission gives them another short mission later on like it's mission telephone you know like most of these episodes are very like are very predictably structured you know they're kind of they're kind of like set up fun and games resolution and I love the idea of playing with story structure. Like, what about a two-act structure on an episode? Just just to make it interesting every so often. And this kind of, like, suggests that idea and then and doesn't really do anything with it. I don't think either of us are against the idea of playing with structure or story if it feels like your show has gotten into a rut. Mm-hmm. But what they do here is, like... What if what if I put four cups of cinnamon into my chili? I've never done that before. <laughs> let's let's see how it tastes. Right. It it feels desperate. Why has nobody ever cooked with motor oil? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and especially because like we know there are unproduced episodes of this show. Producing mm-hmm. this one is a choice. Right. They there are scripts left on the shelf so that they could do this one. Uh, it's compromat. Forget it, Jake. It's compromat. <laughs> Get off the Adam, we come back from the title sequence, and we are already heading in the wrong direction. <laughs> We've got little Alexander in his uh, ankle ankle boots sitting in Counselor Troy's office with Worf giving him the, the third degree over some dumb, you know, clean-up-your-room type dispute they have. He was to place his soiled clothing in the garment reprocessor. This show is not wrong for using therapy as a storytelling device. It's no. just unfortunate that the people in therapy, we we don't really care about their conflict. And and also, like, it is it is an interesting idea to see parenthood thrust on Worf. Unequivocally, that's an interesting idea. But the way they deal with it is so... It's like... It's like people that aren't parents are writing it, and people right. that have never had this experience are writing it. Like like people that have never adopted a foster kid or, or uh, um, you know, had had their uh, brother and his wife die and inherit their kid. You know, like it's it doesn't feel authentic to anything, and so because a child not doing their chores is not a therapy. Worthy level level event. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Why are they in there? Like, you know what would be a great reason for them being there is Alexander can't stop crying. Like he goes to sleep and wakes up in night terrors because he watched his mom die. Like that's worthy. That's a conflict, and it's heavy. Alexander has a existential crisis because he has as much hair as Worf, and he is an eight year old boy. <laughs> Worf starts dating someone, and Alexander can't take it. Alexander realizes that his costume is made out of Charmin and not (laughs) fabric, and he has a real freakout. Brian Bonsall can't stop spiking the camera four times a scene, (laughs) even though he's supposed to be a professional child actor. Well, he's got that sweet, sweet blank check at him. Oh, yeah. 
yeah he he's he's uh seeing the future his uh his acting future and it looks extremely bright yeah. it's looking forward to saving that cat <laughs> it it appears as though troy is as bored as we are though in this scene i think she kind of like thinks she has resolved their problem but um her resolution gets- to the problem is, why don't you guys make a contract with each other, wherein Alexander agrees to certain terms and jobs uh, in his day-to-day, and Worf will also agree to to certain tasks that he will promise to do day-to-day. And neither of them like this idea. This is an idea that um, happened a lot in my childhood, I feel like. Yeah. There were a lot of kind of like bilateral agreements between <laughs> me and my parents. Uh-huh. <laughs> But doesn't seem to work for for the Klingons, and uh, and the scene is like just ending, and Troy gets a message that her mother has beamed on board, and she looks as perturbed as all of us. She's literally in stunned silence. She's on her way to nine eleven. This episode, the fucking like the like Bill Tilly trading card of Troy. Finding out her mother is beaming aboard will say it all. <laughs> he will say it better than we can. It looks like she has a fucking plate of shit under her nose just out of frame. It just makes me sad. Because it happened so early in the episode. You know what you're tucking into. Mm-hmm. Well, the, um... I'm gonna need another podcast soda. You, you down that one pretty quick. Mm-hmm. The deal is, Waxana is on board because she's got a Tinder wedding coming up. She connected with some dude on Tinder and is going to get married to him, like marriage at first sight style. They've like literally never met in person and haven't gone on a date. And uh, she has come on board with the the idea that Captain Picard will perform the ceremony and... Uh, she's kind of just helping herself to the fact that the Enterprise is heading in the right direction for her. And, and Picard is pretty pissed off about this. Like, he's he's walking down the hallway, livid that she's just, you know, helping herself to his shit. And when Riker explains that it's about getting her married, he's like, oh, well, <laughs> if we can if we can do that and she can be focused on not coming aboard ever again, that would be great. So I'll I'll get behind this. I feel like you and I have run into this a time or two in our lives when, you know, friends of ours who know we are video professionals assume that we would love to shoot their wedding. Oh, I hate that. Or stuff like that. Like the, the assumption that what someone does professionally is something they would be willing to do socially for free. Right. Is it seems like a sidecar assumption to what's happening with Waxana and Picard. Like she is assuming uh, an interest that Picard has in doing her this favor because it's what he does professionally anyway. She's a physical therapist. She doesn't want to have to deal with that outside of the office. Why not? I bet. I bet doctors get this worse than anybody. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, what's this thing on my junk? <laughs> yeah. It's Thanksgiving. I don't want you to take your junk out to show me. Can you pop this? 
Should I pop this? <laughs> I love these people. You can't ask them questions. They're so mentally gifted that we mustn't disturb the delicate genius unless it's in the confines of an office. I have one of those right now. Oh, no. Yeah. Right in the middle of my chest, I got something. Needs popping. Oh, no. Like, do you take that to a professional? Or do you set up your iPhone to do the video and then reap the Upload hit Upload it rewards? to Reddit? Yeah. <laughs> get, get on r slash poppers. This is deep enough that I would not do it myself. Whoa. I'll drop a pin into almost anything, but this one is like, it's going to need like steroids injected to it by a professional. Yeah. Ben, you're about to go to LA. That's a frequently shirt off environment. Are you keeping the shirt on on that trip? Max Fun, uh, I'm going to Max Fun HQ when I get there and that's a shirt off as a requirement environment. I remember. Yeah. Wow. I remember I had to wax up before that one. Mm Mm-hmm before my last they have, visit they have shirt check as you walk in you wouldn't think so but it's true <laughs> so i guess like troy and her mom are hanging out in 10 forward and Worf and alexander come in to complain about this stupid contract and the connection is made very quickly between alexander and Lawaxana. like hey you're an annoying character. I'm an annoying character. Let's be best friends. I mean, I, in some ways, I sort of appreciate the character economy here. Like, let's just kill <laughs> two birds. Let's let's get this over with. Let's, let's stick put them together. Two birds in the fucking airlock and <laughs> let them blow out into space. What if we drowned our two least favorite characters in mud? <laughs> So they go to the holodeck, and the idea is that Loxana is a free-spirited, groovy lady in this episode, and she is trying to help Alexander lighten up because he's so oppressed by his officious father. And she programs up this colony in the holodeck. Ah, computer, uh, I'm assuming that you have the Parallax colony on Shirley 6. That program is available. In the way she describes it, you're thinking it's going to be like a like a Costa Rican beach town with like yoga studios and painting classes and shit. And what it actually is is like a mud bath nightmare. <laughs> It's like going to Burning Man if Burning Man was just freshman philosophy majors and mimes. And it was all conceived by a Disney Imagineer that had a head injury. Like, you see what they're going for. They're going for Alice in Wonderland, but it's just, <laughs> it's less smart and less fun. Right. And, and like, like, no character is justified. Like, there's lots of things in this, in this show and this world where, they kind of they give you they give you a glimpse of a character or an idea and it suggests this lineage you know this history this like you know i bet i bet if they wrote a novelization about that it would be fascinating you know like the history of the romulans and the vulcans or something like that and this is this is a an environment that is ripe with those things and Every single example is like, I couldn't give a, less of a fuck, you know? The air really goes out of the episode and out of the show in this moment. It is so, 
it is such an atrocity on all levels. It also made me think how much of an easier time someone like Pee Wee has with whimsy, you know? Like, yeah. like Pee Wee pulls off the same shit, except it works. And all that does is tell me is how hard it is. You can't just, you can't just glue paint chips onto someone's face, put that face in a bubble, and call it fun. Like, right. like Pee Wee's Playhouse <laughs> has a fucking couch that talks to you. Cherry. I've been teasing you a lot lately, and I want you to know I'm sorry. Come over here and sit on me. Like, that that should be stupid, but it's not. Like, well, I think that what what is what separates the Pee-wee from the boys is that Pee-wee, Pee-wee's really funny. I'm so glad you put it that way. <laughs> this is, not, like, there's nothing funny here, and nothing makes any sense, you know? It's like... It's Do you whimsy. think they even tried to be funny or smart? To me, it just felt a cowardly. Like, they didn't state an intention one way or the other. Like, right. if they're trying like, to be smart, they're not sh- smart. If they're trying to be funny, they're not funny. But it, it seems like they didn't... They, it's like a hedge move. They hedged their bet in either direction. Well, yeah. Like, so Pee-wee is, is a, a man-boy, and it's a little unclear what exactly he is. But it is very clear who he's for, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's different versions of Pee Wee. There's like the Pee Wee that's for grown ups, and there's the Pee Wee that's for kids, but also for grown ups. Right. And this is not for anybody. It's like the like the storyline completely falls apart because it doesn't really have anything to say, and it doesn't have anybody to say it to. What is the lesson for today? Oh, well, damned if we know. We're just here for some fun in a mud bath. Yeah, because not even the characters are listening, really. Like, they're just getting talked at, and Alexander, for instance, is, like, parroting the shit that uh, Paint Chips guy is saying. But he's, yeah, not, the- he's not grokking anything on a deeper level. He's just... Right. There's, like, He's a cowardly repeating. lion guy that comes out and, yell, like, yells something. Every moment requires a purpose. No, it doesn't. Alexander's, like, walking around going, like, the higher, the lower. And it's it's a nonsense phrase. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have any... There's nothing implied by it. Even when Q comes on the show to clown around... There is always a deeper meaning behind his presence. There's always a lesson he's trying to extol. And there is just nothing here. Every purpose requires a plan. And it is so frustrating. Big fat nothing burger, Adam. So while all this dumb bullshit is going on... There is some ominous stuff happening aboard the Entrepreneur. The uh, stripper glitter has gotten inside the house, and it, <laughs> the you know, stripper uh, glitter's calling from inside the house. Yeah, there's like the occasional scene where like somebody's like walking down a hallway, and you see it like slip in between the cracks and two pieces of wall paneling or something. So that's happening. Permission for an onboard wedding is granted, number one. Nothing will please me more than to give away Mrs. Troy. I can't wait to hear what music you decide on for stripper glitter cutscenes. 
This is like the storyline that we are desperately <laughs> reaching toward the entire time. Because every time something happens with this, it's like, oh, how interesting. Like, something is metabolizing the ship. And instead, like... 90% of this episode's focus is on the Loaxana storyline. I'm reaching for this B story like it's a life raft. Like, yeah. I need it so bad to get through the rest of the episode. It's like a real B-minus premise for a Star Trek episode, and yet it seems like the fucking golden palace of the Himalayas compared to what we're getting. I feel like they might have started with this as as the basis for a story, and they were like... It's not quite enough for an A. How do we bulk up this episode? With <laughs> Waxana Troy underwire support. That's that's how we do it. <laughs> Put some unnecessary and unwanted cleavage on it. <laughs> so, uh, we get... Well, we left the holodeck, Ben, without describing uh, a pretty serious mud bath scene. With uh, right. Alexander, Deanna Troy, and a juggler. And uh, you can see the juggler's balls in the mud bath <laughs> in a fairly distressing way. <laughs> yeah. They also have, uh, they keep referring to the entertainment. And what the entertainment winds up being is a, for all intents and purposes, nude woman dancing for them. So just for everyone keeping track at home, that's a seven-year-old child uh, taking in some light nude woman dancer as afternoon entertainment. Oh, I don't want any of you youngsters out there to get the idea that this is the way to play hockey. Like, Waxana is already favorite grandma status. Like, she doesn't have to introduce <laughs> Alexander to porn. Yeah. Back when- also, it would have been nice if they'd hired, like, an actual dancer. The uh, the body paint dancer reminded me of a public access show that played in Seattle when I was growing up uh, late at night. Uh, a this the show was actually quite popular. The woman was named Shannon Kringen, and <laughs> she basically just wore body paint and did drugs, or at least looked like she did drugs, and she just stared into the camera for about a half an hour. Wow! As a as a growing boy. It left quite an, an effect on me. <laughs> Party time. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a shame public access isn't a thing anymore. I guess that's <laughs> what YouTube is, right? Yeah. There's got to be somebody doing that on YouTube. We just want to know where they broadcast from. That'd be privileged information. Are you a friend or a relative? We're neither. But the B story really is interesting. Something is eating the ship and pooping jelly. <laughs> yeah. So, like, they, um, I think the first time there's, like, a clear, a, a clear problem is literally, like, almost halfway through the episode, Loxana goes and tries to get some tea from the replicator, and what comes out is a teacup with a bunch of hilarious sausage links dripping out of it i was hating this episode up until this moment but this is a single take for uh major barrett she pulls three bratwurst out of her tea and then drinks the sausage water at the bottom like unmistakably so yeah i mean this is she 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 does a lot to redeem herself props in this one moment where props are deserved uh she's got mm -hmm. them for me 
Yeah. So Data and Jordy get on the case, and the the work being done is like trying to figure out what is causing the replication to malfunction. I guess like they're getting problems all over the ship and there's some other thing that's going on too. So they're like, they've got like a weird energy reading in some junction box and they crawl through the Jeffries tube. They put on their like Jim Shimoda costumes Mm -hmm. and they crawl through the Jeffries tube and data like gets on his back, like a mechanic under a car and pulls a, an access panel out of the ceiling and uh and like some maple syrup starts dripping down onto the onto the panel aliens kind of ruined the idea of of a viscous fluid in a in a mechanical environment in a computer environment you know right because you want it to burn through you really want that to burn through and everything about this scene screamed that to me and you just can't help yeah. but de- be disappointed when it's not, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we cut away from this scene, and Loxana is trying on her wedding getup. And there's been some talk about the fact that she's going to be wearing clothes for her wedding with the man she hasn't met yet. Um, because in traditional Beta Zed weddings, everybody goes nude and... Troy, you know, Counselor Troy is completely blown away that her mother would set her cultural values by the wayside just to be married at her advanced age. You're telling me you're not going to be naked at your own wedding? And, you know, that that held some water for me. And and especially now that we see what the wedding getup is, because it's like a it's like a Gary Spivey Halloween costume. <laughs> Gary Spivey of the Psychic Companions Network? What are you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's all that there is to say about that part of the episode. I'm really excited to hear how many of the 2% get that. <laughs> um. Yeah, and like Mr. Hom is doing some uh, some alterations on it, and Alexander comes in, and we get like a almost line for line reprisal of the Loxana scene from a previous episode where she complained about um, the terrifying nature of aging alone. For some reason, and this, this time she's telling it to the small child who can't possibly understand that. What's hard about this scene is, like, unfortunately, it's one of those contrived kids-say-the-darndest-things that end up teaching other characters a valuable life lesson moments. Right. I mean, it's like in Shakespeare, where the crazy character often has the most wisdom, except for it's written by idiots that (laughs) don't sell that premise at all. Yeah, I mean... It's unfortunately packaged with Luoxana's performance here, which I think is the best that it gets in this episode and maybe for her entire run. Like, you can really see her sadness. And, like, they shot this episode a couple months after her husband died, so I can't help but feel like there was a little bit of real Major Barrett uh, leaking in through the eyes. Well, that's, yeah, like, I mean, 
it it makes me wonder how they decided to do any of this because the the thing that she is struggling with like her character motivation is exactly the same as it was in the last episode with the guy that has to go home and and commit ritual suicide because he's um getting to retirement age yeah um she's she's having the exact same existential crisis but um it's either that she's getting to go for the that crisis a second time and doing a great job this time or that uh she has more pathos to draw on Mm. this time yeah it's like it's better done but like the like if she had done if she had turned in this performance in the last episode that she was in would we have this episode at all yeah that's fair because she would have gotten the work done and the need to revisit it, I think, says all you need to say about uh, how successfully it was done the first time around. I am the cutest of all. You will assist us. I am the cutest of all. You are all. The ship starts getting bangers dropped on it, and the problem of everything being turned into Ublek slowly uh, starts to become more pressing. It started to make me think that the computer was rejecting the premise of the episode as much as we were, <laughs> like by turning itself into the goo from Ghostbusters 2. Mm-hmm. Well, Jordy's excited enough about this goo that he's started to jar it, and he's probably going to be selling it at like a local artisanal uh, food, food uh, stand or something. But will it make a toaster dance? Ordinary household <laughs> toaster. We'll take your word for that. Yeah, and like like all of these scenes where the B storyline happens, the scene is fleeting, and <laughs> we get right back to the fucking A story. You're like, please is, come back. Come back yeah. to the B story. You're like reaching out for it. <laughs> no! Uh, the train is leaving the station with the B story. The... Uh, the husband, or the prospective husband, beams on board. Um, it's pretty clear got- that she met him on Lober, right? <laughs> the dating app for people with extreme earlobes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lobedate.com. You often wonder what happens to the people who wear those giant barrels in their ears once they take them out. This is the yeah. after picture. It's like the uh, before yeah. and after pictures of people on drugs. This guy was super harsh and rode a bike with stunt pegs on the rear wheels <laughs> when he was like 20, but now he's like 65 and it yeah. just isn't a good look anymore. Yeah, I mean, he's got ankle to neck wardrobe on, so you can't see his gnarly teenage tattoos. But yeah, yeah. The after effects of those uh, lobe studs. Ugh. You can't you can't see the Calvin pissing on a Chevy logo that he has on his yeah. <laughs> on his delt. Nothing but tribal armbands. <laughs> it's tribal armbands all the way down, Ben. Oh, it's so unfortunate. Minister Campio, why did you do that? Your parents were so dismayed. I'm never gonna get a square job, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the deal with Minister Campio is that there's a there's like a protocol guy following him around and um, everything he does has to be done according to the rules because rules is rules and we needed another like B minus 
character in this episode, apparently. Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> it sucks because you get an actress who plays Nurse Ogawa. Like, you can tell she is, like, clawing, pawing at the camera to to have more dialogue. And they give... Right. They She's give, like, I can fucking act. They, give me something to do. Yeah, instead they give a guy like uh, Campio's valet a bunch of a bunch of rules-based dialogue to to give to the show that is sort of meaningless and doesn't add any value at all. The woman should not be addressing you in the familiar. It doesn't move the story forward. It doesn't make anything more interesting. It doesn't expand the universe in a way that is meaningful. It sucks. Yeah. So there's like, there's a bunch of like, back and forth about how the wedding's going to go down and I guess there's like some like timing where the discussion of how the wedding is going to happen has to happen at a certain time and Loxana's trying to bail on this discussion because she wants to go do mud bath stuff with Alexander (laughs) and uh, everybody is real eager to get her married off so she is like the only one in the scene that is uh working toward that goal it's i mean the tension they're trying to build is the whole personal agency versus family obligation thing and they and they are just utterly unable to make that work yeah i mean and that's also kind of a warmed over thing from a previous loxana episode right like yeah like this is this is like a redux of a bunch of other things that have already happened to this character and it's like they took all like anything that was kind of passingly interesting out of those things and just crammed them into this episode so that there was an episode it's like they're trying to make Waxana the Stevie Nicks character like this free spirit <laughs> person yeah and it just never plays no why does this show struggle so much to write women? I don't know, man. Probably didn't employ very many women writers. I mean, that definitely did employ women writers, but not not enough. It's clear that Waxana is not sweating Minister Campio, but uh, there are some people who are sweating quite profusely, Ben, and that is <laughs> everyone on the ship. <laughs> because this goo is chewing up the air conditioners big time. Wow, this ri- this episode was written by two women. What? Wow. That's impossible. Unfucking real. Oh no. Oh, thank God. I looked up the cost of living living on Wikipedia and I was looking at the episode of the same name from the television series Lost. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. That was a close call. We almost had to delete a lot of pod. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it was uh, written by a guy named Peter Fields. Good job, Peter Fields. Um, Peter Fields, president of his local chapter's MRA community. (laughs) Close friend and confidant to Scott Adams. Uh, Well, uh, nice try, I guess, Pete. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. Not entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. Jordy and Data are 
having no luck narrowing down what's going on with the uh, stripper glitter that is starting to really tear the ship apart. And, um, yeah, the, the heat is starting to kick up. The environmental situation is not great. Um, one thing I thought that was interesting about this is it's really like depicted as a big time crisis that the environment is falling apart, but we never see like Campio suffering from that. We never see Waxana suffering from that, right? It's as if the A and B storylines are occurring on different ships. It's really, it really is. There's no storyline continuity. There's no crosstalk. Yeah. Like, like when they show how like fucked up everything is, it's just the bridge and everybody like passing out on the bridge. I'm I'm very interested in knowing what a what a guy like Campio <laughs> that has a stick that far up his ass <laughs> goes through when he has to get a little sweaty. You get a guy like Peter Fields writing a Star Trek episode, you know that he's a guy thinking that they'll take environmental controls away from the bridge before they take them away from a holodeck. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and proactively disinvite Peter Fields from Greatest Gen Con 2017, then. I'm going to do that right now. Pete, if you're listening, you're not invited. (laughs) We're going to find a picture of you and put... PNG just below it and give it to everybody that's working the door at Greatest Gen Con 2017. Pin the storyline on Peter Fields is going to be one of the great activities of our con. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I wonder if this guy has his own Wikipedia page. I don't think we've ever gone to the mattresses before on a writer yet on the pod. Oh, my God, Adam. This guy wrote The Inner Light. I can't believe that. I I won't no. believe that. Co-wrote, co-wrote. Okay. But didn't write the story. Somebody else wrote the story. They're they're like, well, we got a couple of olds in this episode. Uh, who are we? <laughs> who do we got in the Rolodex for writing background on these people? He he went on to write like half a dozen Deep Space Nine episodes, which let the record show is a show that you really want to watch next. Including In the Pale Moonlight, which is what a lot of people say is the best Star Trek episode, period. Are you, are you covering up maybe a, pers- a personal Peter Fields fandom that you're, you're unwilling to disclose right now? Here's what I'm going to put forth, Adam. It is very easy in society to try and convict somebody in the court of public opinion based on one mess up. Yeah. All right. You know, yeah, like, I guess I, I think redemptions occur, and that's all I'm going to say. All right, here's it's possible that Peter Allen Field stopped being such an asshole at some point. <laughs> <laughs> it remains to be seen. <laughs> Look, his future redemption does not undo the atrocity that this episode is. <laughs> so, no, so I'm sure really, doesn't. so I'm really glad he went on to write great stories, but this is not one of them. Much like you look back on your early work, Ben, and uh, and don't see a lot to like there. I know I feel that way. I look back on everything I've done in the past and think poorly of it. The past, including a, last week, I will feel uh, yeah pronounced shame about. I have a I have a a website that's my film portfolio, and I feel like it's as much an indictment of me as a bad filmmaker as anything. 
Exhibit A. <laughs> um, they spray all the stripper glitter onto some asteroids, and then it's wedding time, right? <laughs> like, the ship bounces back immediately. Yeah. Which doesn't make any sense. If it's all chewed up from the inside out, like, spraying the stripper glitter onto some asteroids is not does not a complete starship make. Like, the lights should not have come back on, everybody mop their brow and take a deep breath and get back to work. It's like... The ship should should be, like, barely functional. Throwing your underwear away doesn't get rid of VD. You have to actually see a doctor. And right. the Enterprise needs to go to a starbase, like, immediately. Well, they, uh, <laughs> they throw this wedding. Um, all of the, like, times that Alexander has invaded against Loxana to, you know, practice what she preaches or whatever have... Really made an impression on her, Adam. She gets her she's all that entrance. <laughs> May I present the new, not improved, but different, Laney box. They spool up the sixpence none the richer. She walks down <laughs> the, uh, the flight of stairs into the suburban home living room, wearing nothing at all, like super proud. <laughs> And the fucking valet guy is not looking at boobs, Ben. I'm not sure if you noticed where his eyeline was. Troubling eyeline for the valet. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's all veg for the valet. <laughs> yeah. You can tell what he hasn't seen before. The other take that we get that is just really unbelievable in this scene is a really deep close-up on Alexander giving nude elderly woman a big S-E-G. And she gives him a wink back. It's like, what's the, what's the implication here? What? Like, this might be, like, of all of the times that this show has made a an accidental implication of an impro- inappropriate relationship between an older person and a younger person. Right. It gives you everything you don't want and nothing that you do. Like, who I really want to see the reaction shots of are Picard and Riker, which you get barely a glimpse of. You get a little right. bit of Campio, who is less than stoic in his disapproval <laughs> of what's happening. Evidently, would, evidently, he's not down with the goods. Yeah, I just... The whole thing, man. Come on. It wasn't funny, and it wasn't fun. I don't think. No. So the slide whistle on the end of this charade is a scene back in the mud baths on the holodeck where um, Loaxana and Alexander are downloading their crazy adventure as the last time that either of these characters should ever appear in anything. (laughs) And uh, I think, like, cuts to Counselor Troy, who's got, like, probably the craziest Marge Simpson wig we've seen in the history of the show, with the idea being that she's got her hair up, but they gave her, like, ten times as much hair. Yeah, it's like she went up to the replicator and just asked for extensions after extensions (laughs) after extensions. Can you put your head into a replicator and just have it add hair? That'd be fun. 
she she went up to the replicator and it gave her Pee-wee's bike chain level <laughs> extensions. I think she's glad that it didn't just put sausages in her curls. <laughs> and I guess the like the big laugh moment on the end is that Worf is also in the mud bath. Just uh, one of the great sight gags, right, Ben? No. <laughs> Not a good sight gag. Not a gag. You know what he is, Ben? He is a muddy man. (laughs) This has been my last episode of The Greatest Generation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Ben, have you ever enjoyed a mud bath? Have you ever had a mud bath for yourself? I've not. I have. Uh, what do you think? My wife and I went and enjoyed uh, mud baths in Calistoga, California, known for their yeah. natural known spring for being water. Named by a guy who was too drunk to name something at the time. Yeah, let me tell. Do you know the story about that? No, tell me. So, uh, Saratoga is a a uh, resort town here in the state of New York, and the guy was asked by a reporter what the name of his like new resort town was going to be and he was shithouse drunk <laughs> and he called it Calistoga of Serifornia he like he like crisscrossed the names that's great yeah wow that makes it better that Im- but Calistoga is famous for its mud baths that improves a really okay story of mine which is that like natural spring water like like they have mineral water down there, and it smells like eggs. And when oh you, yeah, because it's sulfury. Yeah, and when you get a mud bath, you get the the delicious combination of eggs and peat, which is what they make the mud out of. <laughs> so they they draw these mud baths, and mm, sulfury. Yeah, and you get in, and the peat mud is so thick that you, like. You, I plopped myself into it and like was on the surface. I could not break the surface tension of the mud, and you've got to like grab the sides and ram yourself into the mud and like wiggle your way to the bottom. Not nearly as pleasant as I'm making it sound. And, A warrior's bath. And then you sort of scoop the hot mud over, because the mud is then not covering up your body because you've left yeah. the impression in the mud. You've got to like scoop it over yourself. I suspect that what they have here is not mud, but like, like gruel. You know, it's the it's the same pudding mix that Wesley uses to get dates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why Troy lowers a uh, straw into it and takes a big suck. God, could you imagine uh, the filter on that thing? <laughs> Especially with what Worf's packing. Oh, yeah. Ben, I'm going to ask you a fairly obvious question. Did you like this episode? No. I didn't either. Did you? Nope. Let's, let's do P1s. All right. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam Jeremy Rico Bear has sent a message to Chadich. It says, Happy birthday, Chadich. May your birthday be full of bones, 
Deep V's, and Uxbridge's real dolls like Riker's secret living quarters. Mm. On this day, I ask if you'll be my number one, the Riker to my JLP, the Darmok to my Jalad. On the day I take a mate, when you're strolling in the barrio, <laughs> you need your chaotic bro watching your six, and that's you. Did uh, did Chadich just get proposed to on our <laughs> on our podcast? <laughs> I believe we have our very first proposal. <laughs> that's sweet. Yeah, that's a nice, nice birthday message. I, I, I wonder about Riker having a, a couple of real dolls from from Oxbridge. I mean, I wouldn't put it past him. The thing about Riker is that you know that he has those tiny babes, the tiny violin babes. Oh yeah, he's got his hollow babes. He's not against fake babes. No, but but the thing is, those tiny hollow babes are definitely not boning down with him. Yeah. And is an inanimate object in a position to provide active and enthusiastic consent? And I don't think it is. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to quibble with your priority one message. Obviously, we really appreciate it, but I'm, I'm, just, uh, I'm just wondering about the headcanon on that one. I believe you'll find my creations... Fully programmable to both your emotional specifications and also your need to grant consent. This is a way of programming that I've built into the version 2 model. I'm a man of special conscience, (laughs) and to that end, my special sex dolls are (laughs) fairly woke, to be honest. They're the wokest sex dolls in the Alpha Quadrant. The need for consent, to be honest, is not something I ever considered before Commander Riker filled out his form for his order of ten real dolls. Ten. It's the biggest single order our company has ever received. (laughs) We're so proud of his order that we framed it and hung it on the wall. Next to the first dollar bill that we earned. <laughs> the first scarf that we earned. And the hooshnock skull that I've mounted over the mantle. <laughs> yeah. Well, happy birthday, Chadish. Sounds like you got a good buddy there with his, uh, with his Rico bear. Uh, Adam, do we have another Priority One message? We sure do, Ben. This one is from Anna, Carly, Chris, Tony, Douglas, Deirdre, Kent, Val, and Gibson. Well, a priority one message is almost free when you split it up amongst that many people. (laughs) You know what I was also thinking, Ben, is that you can get around the 350 character limit if you add... if (laughs) If you add words to the from line. I think these people are manipulating the rules. Anyway, this message is to Kevin from Every Friend Kevin Has. (laughs) It goes like this. Most of us don't know what this podcast is or why you would listen to it. But we love you enough to pay Adam and Ben money to say happy birthday to you anyway. You're a great housemate, a great brother, a great friend, and the best boyfriend. May your Shimodas be drunk and your knuck rockin'. Happy birthday from the finest crew in Starfleet. They I've must, always wanted to meet the best boyfriend, Adam. They must live in a mansion. This is like 20 yeah. people. 
<laughs> is this the real world? I stopped watching the real world world like 10 years ago. Is this the latest cast? Adam, I am a creature of <laughs> surpassing abilities, and I can have as many housemates as I want at any time. Oh, shit. It's Kevin Uxbridge's birthday. Happy birthday, <laughs> Kevin. It's my 100,000th birthday. <laughs> a major milestone even for a dowd. On this special occasion, I only have one request. An ice cream cake. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday, Kevin. Uh, from everyone you know and from Ben and myself. Uh, if you have a special friend who's celebrating a birthday or any other occasion, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and write him a neat message that we'll read on the air. Uh, personal messages are $100. Commercial messages are $200. And uh, it's one of the best ways to support the ongoing production of our show. It really means a lot to us. So thanks, guys. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. 
Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Have you drowned your Shimoda in a mud bath? <laughs> or do you, in fact, have a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I have a drunk Shimoda. My drunk Shimoda in uh, the last episode was somebody saying, oh, yeah. And once again, I have a Shimoda who is evoking that emotion. This time it's Mr. Hom. Uh, when Loaxana walks in in the buff, the camera lingers on Mr. Hom for a moment, and that uh, is the only thing you can, can read in his face is, yeah, baby, <laughs> doing it right, <laughs> doing it right. <laughs> he even goes, he like turns and looks at the fucking, uh, the minister or whatever his name is, gives, gives him an SEG. Do you think Mr. Hom goes along... Like, after they're married, if they were to be married, does, like, Mr. Hom just join their marriage? Do you think Mr. Hom thinks about Lawaxana in his private time? He's seen her nude so many times now. You could see all of it when you're Mr. Hom. You could see the whole thing. What does Mr. Hom get off on? Well, he can drink a lot. <laughs> so I, I feel like he is a man of very few limitations. Yeah. Might be a party animal. <laughs> I could see that. Uh, did you have a drunk Shimoda, Adam? I do, Ben. Um, I felt really bad a couple episodes ago for not noticing when Jordy had a beard. Like, <laughs> this was not something hidden from the scene. Like, I just, like, I looked at him and did not see the beard for whatever reason. So this, this point of emphasis might come as a surprise to you. There's a scene in the episode where Picard and Data are on a turbo lift and they're mm -hmm. talking over the Ghostbusters goo problem. And yeah. you get a two shot of them that's fairly close up and Picard's on the left and Data's on the right. And the reason why that blocking is important is because you can see, uh, you can see both of their pips and Picard is wearing the three pips of a Lieutenant in this scene. No. And I don't know how this happens. They've done almost six seasons of this show, almost 120 episodes of Picard being in almost every episode. The costume department has one job. Why would the pips ever even come off the costume? That's what I'm asking. Like, I don't feel like uh, Patrick Stewart shares his uniform with anyone. It's always going to be tagged in the costume department as his. I have a feeling those pips are going to stay on regardless. I don't know why he's only wearing three pips in this scene. 
That's bananas. Yeah. So my Shimoda goes to a costume department that is clearly having the most fun. But to in their defense, they also have the most to do this episode. Like I could see their attention <laughs> being drawn in a number of different areas. Yeah, they've got to make costumes for all those idiots in the fucking holodeck. They're painting paint chips onto a face uh, <laughs> multiple times a day. Like, I, I get it, guys. You're busy. But wow. that It, it also seems like on set, you, you, there's a moment before the camera rolls where Brent Spiner's in the scene looking at the actor on screen with him. Like... The guy behind the camera looking into the frame sees the pips. Like, there are a number of of people who could have called that out, but no one yeah. did. So, interesting that that sort of continuity error snuck through on a show this far down the line. Not surprising that this episode would be the one that it happened on, though. Yeah, yeah. Mistakes were made. <laughs> <laughs> and no one noticed this one because of uh, the myriad others. Ben, seriously, please, please tell me that we have a better episode coming up. Oh, we sure do, Adam. The next episode is season five, episode twenty-one, "The Perfect Mate." A beautiful woman chosen by her people to serve as a peace offering to end a centuries-long war falls in love with Picard. Do you remember this episode, Adam? Yeah, I do. I always think this episode is an early season episode in my mind. Mm. Like in my yeah. recollection. Like this It's definitely an early season premise, like and a not a great premise for a Star Trek episode, right? Like, oh, this woman is an object and she will end a war. <laughs> is basically the the idea. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this This definitely came out of the first season Filofax <laughs> folder, you know. Uh, what I do recall is a very fetching Fomka Jansen and, yeah. a, and a legitimately heartbreaking end for Captain Picard. So I'm excited to revisit this episode to experience those things again. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is an episode that is... Um, like a bad premise that is nonetheless very well executed. It's like the, it's the panic room of episodes. <laughs> you can have your actors dig you out of a story hole. And this, yeah. this is an episode where that happens. Yeah. Well, uh, we don't have any vetoes, but if, if we did, would you have used one on this? Not at all. I'm excited to see yeah. this one, especially to get the taste out of my mouth, the muddy taste out of my mouth from this episode. Yeah, this is uh, this is going to be a nice palate cleanser, a nice a nice granita <laughs> after what we just suffered through. That sounds nice, Adam. You know what else sounds nice? What's that, Ben? People going on iTunes, leaving nice reviews for our show, putting the word out there that. This show is not the dumb thing that it sounds like it would be if you described it to somebody. It's, uh, you can do your friends and your roommates a favor by telling them about this show. I mean, this might come as a surprise, Ben. Not everyone who is into Star Trek has heard of us. Yeah. And the people Um, who have found us recently are giddy about it. Like, we hear all the time about people who just found our show, and that is, like, an ongoing joy for me, is knowing that... Like over a hundred episodes in, people are still finding it and and 
enjoying it for the first time. I love it. Yeah. So share in our embarrassment and put somebody onto the show. Um, we should thank Dark Materia for our theme music and Adam Ragusea, who is always coming up with cool new music for us. It's one of the uh, one of the many cool friendships we've formed based on having this program. Yeah. People talk about the shows on Twitter using the hashtag GreatestGen. I'm on there as at CutForTime. Ben is there as at BenjaminR, A-H-R. We've got Reddit. We've got Facebook. We've got LinkedIn. We've got, we've, <laughs> we've got the whole thing out there uh, ready to build communities around the enjoyment of our program. Yeah. Go to gach.biz slash mail if you want to get on our mailing list. Find out about the next time we're going on tour or greatest gen conning yeah and uh with that we'll be back at you next week with another great episode of star trek the next generation and uh super misogynistic but somehow enjoyable anyway episode (laughs) of the greatest generation MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.